0: Redfern is joining us this week and we will talk about his new book The Martians and when I think of the Martians I think of the Dead Sea Bottoms of Barsoom Okay, that's of course the Edgar Rice Burroughs, John Carter stories Nick, have you had a chance of seeing the James Fox documentary The Phenomenon?
1: No, I haven't, no
0: I received a letter from our old friend David Halperin, someone I've known for over 50 years, and he reviewed it on his column, and he wasn't too impressed with the movie because one of the reasons, other than not having any new information, was that three of the cases used in the movie, he found conventional explanations for In a couple of weeks, we'll be hearing from him and get his impressions on that. So in the meantime, we will not talk about the movie. We'll talk about Mars. Now, I'm going to ask you, Nick, before we go on, and this is an obvious question to everybody, but I'll ask your opinion. Why are we so fascinated with Mars?
1: You know, I actually talk about that in the book uh, from the perspective of almost like an inherited memory, you know, in the sense that, We kind of gravitate to Mars, but not really knowing why we gravitate to Mars, you know. I mean, if you think of, for example, Jupiter or Saturn, you don't really see people, you know, writing movies and books and researching it. But with Mars, they do, and it's almost like, as I said, you know, we have this kind of, fascination for it and it sort of resonates with us but like I said, it's it's difficult to understand why it is like that. You know, maybe in the distant past if there was sort of a Martian civilization which is, you know, one of the theories maybe there was a literal connection at one point for whatever reason, it's long gone, but there is this kind of, of something still being there, if you like, even if we're not sure how and why that works,
0: you know? Well, one thing that's certain here the fact that we can see Mars mm. is part of it. And then, of course, we have all the legends, and certainly that hasn't stopped the novels. So I always mention Edgar Rice Burroughs. They actually did try, I don't know if you saw Nick, they tried to make a movie version of A Princess of Mars called John Carter. And I thought it was a pretty decent film. It was produced by Disney but they didn't have a clue how to promote it. We have a person of course who was best known for Tarzan, Edgar Rice Burroughs who created a very popular series. Did you ever read any of the Edgar Rice Burroughs stories, Nick?
1: One or two of them, but we're talking about when I was a teenager. But I haven't read them all and I haven't read any of them since. People are sometimes quite surprised when they realize that I'm not really into sci-fi. <laughs> it's just not my thing. I like horror. I like horror movies. Apart from the first Star Wars film, I've never seen any of the others. I've never seen, you know, anything like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. I'm just not into any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> people <are> like, what?
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to have people never- hate me here. I am not a huge fan of Star Wars. And I understand its fascination. I just find it very derivative. But that's just me. I'm a Star Trek fan for many reasons. I am a sci-fi fan. As our listeners know, my son and I have written sci-fi. So we have some acquaintanceship with that. But obviously, we look at the fascinations of Mars... And I guess the prevailing theory, having discovered the presence of water on Mars, is that if there was any source of anything other than microbial life, it would be far, far in the distant past, maybe millions of years ago. So where do these legends come from? Obviously, the Martian canals, which turned out not to be canals. But where else, Nick?
1: Well, I mean... That's a good question because, I mean, you know, when you say where does this all come from, I mean, if you look back, you know, to the distant past, the ancient Rome, ancient Greece, the Egyptians, even, you know, in relation to Stonehenge, there's this sort of, you know, a connection with the, you know, the planets, the stars, etc. And certainly Mars, you know, not just the planet, but Mars, the god as well, you know, plays a, a significant uh, role within our civilizations and, and and throughout the, you know, the uh, history of the human race. And so for that reason, I mean, from early times of civilization, you know, Mars has played a role. And I think that's an important thing to note. You know, this isn't just sort of a, a new phenomenon that people are fascinated in by Mars. Now, granted, the way in which we perceive Mars back then to, to now are very different. You know, it's not like we pray to Mars or anything like that now, you know, the god of war, that kind of thing. But the that kind of um, magnetism almost, if you like, is still there. And, um, but yeah, when you said about microbial life and, you know, the distant past, um, you know, as to what the... Mars is like now, you know, and is there sort of intelligent life there now and things we haven't found, uh, it wouldn't surprise me, uh, but in saying that as well, you know, a lot of these and so-called anomalies on Mars that, you know, we can talk about that, um, that have been photographed by NASA, um, we're clearly, I think, for the most part dealing with, if there was a, an ancient Martian civilization, then it was ancient. You know, we, we are talking about probably hundreds of thousands of years ago. Um, we're not talking about, you know, something from Mars, you know, just sort of um, went belly up 10,000 years ago. I, I don't think it's anything like, as a, you know, as simple as that. I think it's, it's far in the distance, you know.
0: Well, and the one thing also would be maybe a theory here that if there was a advanced civilization on Mars... When the atmosphere thinned, of course, this goes over hundreds of thousands of years, they would have migrated to the interior of the planet. But even then, that's of course, doesn't have any support, or does it?
1: Well, I mean, it depends who you ask and, and how you ask the questions as well. And uh, I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, over the years, um, a m- number of people have remote-viewed, uh, Mars. Now, the big question, or the big issue, of course, is, you know, do you sort of go along with the premise of remote viewing, you know, sort of psychically using the human mind to to sort of look, if you want to, you know, into the past? Uh, and of course, again, this is all dependent on whether you go with that. But um, one of the, the significant things I talk about in the book was back in um, May 1984, very quietly, the CIA initiated a remote viewing program to uh, to remote view the planet Mars. Now, again, you know, I mean, the CIA—they're just you know the normal people, just like us. Um, but so there's something um, for whatever reason, um, somebody within the CIA or an age or an office within the CIA had a deep interest um, in the early 1980s in trying to figure what was going on or had gone on on Mars. Now, the, the first um, remote viewing um, operation that the CIA ran was in, on uh, May the 22nd, 1984. And that was when they got two of their remote viewers in to remote view Mars and the, they both basically said similar um, data or provided uh, similar data even though they weren't together and um, the visions if you like or however you want to term you know what they're actually seeing was sort of the atmosphere on fire and um, A number of gigantic pyramids which had been severely damaged, Um, earthquakes, and what seemed to be like asteroids um, slamming into the planet, Um, the atmosphere affected.
0: Let's do the break here. Let's do the break here. And we'll get back with Nick, Gina, and Randall. You're in. The (laughs) Paracast.
2: Hello, Paracast people. I'm Greg Carlwood, the host of the Higher Side Chats podcast, an uninterrupted and action-packed interview-based show where I talk to some of the brightest minds for our troubled times about all things paranormal, occult, esoteric, and conspiratorial. After ten years, we've heard it all. Alien moon bases, archons, hollow earth, technocratic and biomedical agendas, magic, mind control, and Lovecraftian monsters. Oh my. Usually, the first hour of the show is free, and the second hour is for members who sign up for the Higher Side Chats Plus at $8 a month. But praise be, we're giving Paracast listeners two free weeks of plus when you use the all-caps coupon code PARACAST. Go to TheHigherSideChats.com, sign up with the code PARACAST, and dive into the nearly never-ending archive of great interviews I've been lucky enough to get over the years, from David Politis to David Icke, and many, many guests not named David. Check it out. You're going to love it. All right, Gene, was that good? Can we use that one?
5: bags under the eyes, crow's feet, fine lines and wrinkles are things adults complain about as they age. Now, there's Instantly Ageless. It works in minutes and is great for men and women. Here's a clip from the Rachel Ray Show, testing the results of Instantly Ageless.
6: Board-certified dermatologist Dr. Whitney Bowe. If
7: you're looking to try to turn back the clock on a budget, you know, in the privacy of your own home, but actually there's some recent technologies emerging, almost like changes the behavior of the skin while it sits on the skin. She went off to try a product called instantly ageless yeah instantly you could see a difference even the cameraman were like wow look at the difference yeah I mean, but that's... i would definitely use this product. this product within minutes of applying it it was actually a very dramatic rejuvenation
5: try instantly ageless today at gcnlife.com that's gcnlife.com 30-day money-back guarantee and preferred price discount at gcnlife.com that's gcnlife.com
9: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
0: So we are remote viewing Mars or telling what happened when they tried to remote view Mars. And Nick Fred Fern, the author of The Martians, was giving a description. Nick, go on, please.
1: But yeah, I guess the most intriguing and significant aspect of this uh, remote viewing on the part of the CIA was the, the fact that they said they saw literal Martians fleeing into these gigantic underground bunkers, which suggested that maybe they'd been planned and built and constructed in advance or, that, or knowledge you know, of some sort of calamity, worldwide calamity was going to occur. They were ready to some degree. Now, the the CIA's people who were doing this said that the Martians looked astonishingly like us. We're not talking about little greys with the black eyes, you know, or the Space Brothers of the 1950s. They looked pretty much like us, except for one glaring fact, and that was they were about 10 to 12 feet tall. I mean, like, really tall. Now... A similar program went on in 1985 with the CIA and another one in 1987. For me, the most important thing is, you know, on the one hand, people are going to say, well, how do we know this wasn't just coming, you know, innocently out of the the mind of the remote viewer? But for me, the most important thing and the most significant thing is what was it in the first place that prompted the CIA to try and figure out what was going on happening on Mars hundreds of thousands of years ago. As well as that, a very similar programme that also has a, a Martian aspect to it was the remote viewer Ingo Swan. He went on record as talking about how in nineteen seventy five there was this clandestine group, he didn't say the CIA, but it was a group within in the in the US government that wanted the moon itself to be remote viewed and sure enough they they did that and they claimed to have found like these huge bunkers under the surface of the far side of the moon and the story develops from there that there were these entities or creatures beings whatever you want to call them living in these huge bunkers on the far side of the moon and they looked just like us but they were about 10 to 12 feet So, you know, you've got this parallel with what the remote viewers in the CIA were talking about in relation to Mars, and you've got almost identical beings on the far side of the moon, which gave rise to the theory that Swan suggested that some of the Martians fled from Mars and made it to here, and they inadvertently, if you like, became the so-called giants of, you know, the Bible and all these old books and legends, you know, of the the giants around the world, whether it's the Old Testament or Gilgamesh, things like that. So you've got this sort of fascinating um, situation that blends ancient Mars and, and Martians with secret remote viewing programs of the CIA, which, you know, it sounds like a Hollywood movie, but it actually wasn't. You know, it really was the CIA and Ingo Swan being hired to do additional work in this field and agencies and programs within the Pentagon wanting answers what happened at Mars. And, you know, the big question is, why were they so interested in, in that issue?
0: The question I would have, of course, is, We already have probes on Mars, physical probes, and they haven't found anything. And if there had been remnants of a civilization within the surface of Mars, what kind of tests would they have to have implemented? Of course, they could have done that secretly, but there could have or maybe should have been such tests. Right now, it just seems to be very elementary. Well, we check the soil and we see this and we see that.
1: Well, I mean, some people would say that, you know, we have found evidence on Mars. And again, you know, we are in this position where, you know, you can sort of take it two ways. I mean, if you look at all the photographs that have come back from Mars, you know, whether they're pictures taken in orbit, you know, around Mars, or the rovers themselves, you know, which go trundling across the landscape, there actually are some genuinely weird photographs. Now, everybody kind of thinks of the so-called face on Mars. Now, that that's the most famous one, you know, in terms of what some people still believe to be, you know, a significant anomaly. However, in the last 10, 15 years, I mean, even more have surfaced. One of the weirdest, which I reproduce in the book, and which is actually a real NASA photograph, um, it's become known as the facehugger photo. Uh, the facehugger being taken from the Aliens movies, you know, with Sigourney Weaver. And um, I don't know if you've got the book in front of you, but if, or if not, if you Google Mars facehugger, photograph uh, NASA and and what you'll see is what eerily really looks like some kind of weird crab-like spidery type creature climbing up part of a cave and if you look at the picture it's hard to say that's a piece of rock or a piece of stone it kind of looks like an eight-legged thing with a round body I don't know if you're able to pull the picture up or not where you are, but um, but as I said, if you if you just Google Mars um, Face Hugger NASA photo, you'll see it, and um, and there's also another one that's been known uh, become known as the Crowned Face, and again, if you Google the Crowned Face Mars NASA, you'll see. A, um, a, a photograph uh, and this is an aerial photograph of what looks eerily like uh, a human face I mean far more clearer uh, than the um, the so-called face on Mars this so-called uh, crowned king face um, It's showing basically like a, a helmet if you like and uh, two eyes even with the pupils, a nose two nostrils and lips and and a face and um and ears and and again if you can find that picture um the crown face nasa mars you'll see this picture which again it's hard to just dismiss that as you know somebody seeing you know like a, a face is a, a dog's face in a cloud you know i don't think it is something along those lines. So things like that, the crown face, you know, the the face hugger picture, there's a lot of things like that. Now, NASA doesn't deny the existence or that they or you know, they don't deny they took the pictures because I mean, we have to remember the reason why we're talking about them now is because NASA has openly allowed us to see the pictures. You know, it's it's not like they're being hidden. But what NASA has said is that well you know, they think the, the crown face is like the equivalent of seeing a dog in clouds, you know, or a picture of Elvis in, in a cup of coffee or, or something, you know. Um, but some of them are so significantly weird that it is hard to sort of, you know, just wipe it away and say, well, yeah, it's just a case of seeing things.
0: Let's wipe this segment away. Morning, to come with Gene Randall and Nick. You're in.
10: The Paracast.
11: USA Radio News with Dan Naraki Declaring victory. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden declared victory in the 2020 election Saturday after multiple media outlets called Pennsylvania for him. President Donald Trump is still disputing the results in several states as the campaign has filed legal challenges in Arizona and Pennsylvania and is asking for a recount in Wisconsin. Speaking to supporters Saturday night, Biden said he'd work to win the confidence of all Americans.
12: I pledge to be a president. Who seeks not to divide, but unify. Who who doesn't see red states and blue states, only sees the United States. And work with all my heart, with the confidence of the whole people, to win the confidence of all of you.
11: USA Radio News has not called the race for Biden, but will wait until all legal challenges are resolved. This is USA Radio News. Rescue workers are searching for more than 100 people feared buried in a landslide in Guatemala triggered by Hurricane Ada. Fifteen people are confirmed dead in the town of San Cristobal, Verapaz, with another 109 still missing. Ada has moved back into the Caribbean Sea and re-strengthened into a tropical storm. It's currently heading for Cuba and is expected to turn north late Sunday, where it could further strengthen back into a Category 1 hurricane and threaten the Florida Keys and southern coast of the state. Speaking at a press conference in Philadelphia, President Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, says the Trump campaign will continue to dispute the election results in Pennsylvania. Alleging that Republican observers were not allowed to watch the counting of ballots, Giuliani said the campaign would be taking further legal action.
13: And we have no way of knowing, because we've been deprived of the right to inspect, if a single one of those ballots is legitimate. That is unheard of, it's illegal, it's unconstitutional, and we will be bringing an action challenging that.
11: And I emphasize to you, it's only one of the many other infirmities in this election. This is USA Radio News.
6: you might be eligible for a CGM with little or no cost to you. Call U.S. Medical Supply today for a free benefits check. We offer free shipping, 90-day supplies, and we bill Medicare or your insurance directly. Call now and say goodbye to finger pricks.
14: 800-880-1896. 800-880-1896. 800-880-1896. That's 800-880-1896
8: this is jerome clark author of the ufo encyclopedia and other books you're listening to the Paracast.
0: so nick redfern the official denial what do they do about these
1: pictures Well, no, there is no official denial. I mean, this is one of the things where a lot of conspiracy theorists sort of go way over the top. You know, some people have said there's sort of a a gigantic conspiracy within NASA to hide the truth. Now, I don't deny the possibility there could be some, you know, degree of conspiracy to hide some of this stuff. But the fact is, like I said... We've got all this material because NASA has given it to us. It's not like we've had to use the Freedom of Information Act to prize it out even. As soon as it all comes down, NASA puts it on, on its websites, you know, when they've uploaded it and put the the site the new sites together, etc. So in that sense, you know, there's been no attempt, as I can see it, uh, on the part of NASA to, you know, be sort of vigilant and try and hide this. They just disagree to a significant degree to people like me, you know, who think this is evidence of an ancient civilization on Mars. You know, it's not like, you know, trying to use the Freedom Information Act to prize out UFO files, you know, how we had, you know, researchers had to do in the 70s and things like that. Um, This is being put out for us now the other side of the coin is that we're not seeing a conspiracy we're seeing like the first steps of like a disclosure you know bit by bit release these photos to the point where we finally become to just accept oh yeah there's weird stuff on mars you know
10: I guess we might as well just get this out of the way here. I mean, this reminds me of the revival of Paranormal Radio back in the 90s with Art Bell, with guests like Richard Hoagland, who has been widely discredited by mainstream science. And so my question is, you know, why would you want to bring that sort of criticism onto yourself? Or do you really think that this is that substantial? Because lots of us out here have looked into this and and we're just... We might have a suspicion that there's something going on there, but we're just not that convinced, you know? And and I think it's really interesting that you bring up these things like, well, the CIA wanted to look into, like, what has happened on Mars. And I think that's valid. You know, that's more interesting to me than necessarily whether or not there is a face on Mars. But I, I kind of worry, you know, that, that you know, you might receive an inordinate amount of, you know, blowback from from people who, you know, just – got all excited in the past over this, and it all turned out to be nothing.
1: The way I look at it is that, you know, I'm someone who writes books on UFOs with a small audience. You know, it's not like I'm on CNN, you know, sort of thumping on the table and saying, you know, this is what's going on. You know, when you say that, you know, I could get sort of a blowback, you know, and and criticism, well, you know, the only publicity I really do is like, shows like yours, you know, and it's not like I'm getting, you know, hundreds of emails or Facebook messages. Um, That doesn't happen, you know.
0: So in this case, too, there are so many theories going on around. Do you sometimes feel you get lost in the noise?
1: Sorry, say that again.
0: Do you sometimes feel that all these fascinating books you have with really, really interesting and quite often alternative theories it gets lost in the noise and that maybe you're not reaching oh. the audience. You could, because there's so much stuff going on out there.
1: Well, no, I think what it is, you know, that, um, a lot of people are interested in, you know, UFOs and Bigfoot or whatever, but when it comes to actually, you know, doing research and that kind of thing, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is a small audience really. Um, you know i mean people think sometimes you know my books selling like you know 10 15 20000 copies you know <laughs> they they do um most of my books um i mean if i had a book that sold um 3,000, I'd be really happy. Two of my books have sold, um, the Bigfoot book I did, that sold about 10,000. And Strange Secrets, one of my early books, that sold 12,000. And that's still selling. Um, but in saying that, I've, and a few books sold um, round about 5,000. But most of my books sell somewhere in the region of a couple of thousand. So in other words, you, you know, there there is this issue of, you know, what you put out there isn't necessarily, you know, the talk of the town or everywhere, you know, because there actually aren't that many sort of uh, people presenting feedback, you know. I mean, it's not, I can tell you from the, you know, since the book came out, um, it's not like I've had... You know, any kind of NASA whistleblowers coming forward to say, oh, yeah, you know, I can help you on this or help you on that, you know, or people have found or sent me, you know, cool, weird photographs. No, I mean, that that rarely happens with me, really.
10: Well, there is a lot of that out there, though. I mean, there's always somebody coming up with, you know, look what I found on on Mars. And there are some really interesting Things And your books in general, and I've got, you know, more than a handful of them here, I really find them to be enjoyable, you know, regardless of, of the contentiousness of the content. I, I think they're wonderful books and uh, just just to read and make a person think, you know. But I know that this particular subject has gotten, you know, it's, it's highly controversial even in our fields, you know, of, of interest within our own community. So, um well. You know, I, I but it's I know it's going to be interesting. And what you were saying about the CIA, I mean, you always bring in this this, uh, you know, something there's there's no question. You probably looked this up, found some kind of Freedom of Information Act document that says that they were doing this. And did you That's ever find? Yeah. Like, did you ever find out what it was that prompted the CIA to look into the history of Mars? Or, you know, is are we just kind of going, well, you know, gee, why did they do that?
1: Well, that's an important question. The main reason being, if you look at the overall history of the U.S. government's remote viewing programs, you know, they never really did anything just because, oh, it's going to be cool. You know, a lot of it was sort of directed at trying to, You know, figure out what the Soviets were doing in the 70s and 80s and North Korea and China, things like this. You know, they were trying to figure out what was going on because it was relative to, as they saw it, you know, U.S. national security. So with the the CIA and Mars, you know, it wouldn't... If you look at the the entire history of the the program, it's clear that they wouldn't have just remote-viewed Mars um, for the fun of it, you know, because that's not, not how any of the projects within that program were run. So clearly somebody, you know, sort of put the order out there, this is what we want you to do. Now, the big question, of course, is who was it that who put the order out there and why and did they find something that led them to do that you know unless you know the way I look at it is that there's no way they would have done all that if if they weren't aware at least of something that pre-existed that gave them the impetus to actually do that. Now, you know, when you're sort of talking also, the other part of it, um, you mentioned about the books and everything. You know, when you said, um, you know, people might sort of disagree with me, you know, be critical of it. Well, I don't care. You know what I mean? <laughs> if, if, I, if, I have a, if I have a strong belief in something and I believe I've got enough background evidence and data to support what I'm talking about, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, f- I'm fine for having, you know, a good um, online fight, so to speak, or down the, uh, you know, down the microphones. Well, yeah. Um,
0: we'll get into more of this in our next segment. Uh-huh. We have Nick Redfern. The book is The Martians. And we're looking at some Martian mysteries. Maybe there were ancient, advanced civilizations that are gone, or maybe there are still remnants of their existence, such as possibly a face on Mars, or maybe they're still around. More to come with Gene and Randall and Nick. You're in. The Panacasta.
7: Thank you for listening to GCN.
0: Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out Paracast.plus to learn more
15: about Paracast Plus.
16: Hello?
17: Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How'd you do it so fast?
2: ASAP.
17: ASAP. what? What's that mean?
2: Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've gotta know more. Welcome to ASAP.
3: As slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP
14: hi this is bryce abel i'm the producer of dark skies the co-author of ad after disclosure and you are listening to the paracast the gold standard of paranormal radio
0: nick redfern joining us let's look at some of the martian mysteries specifically of course when I grew up in the 50s and everything we were talking about the Martian canals which ended up not to be canals what do you think about all that before we get into the face
1: Oh, I think it's exactly what it seems to be. It was a, a, a terrible mistake. <laughs> you know, they screwed up that they were not canals at all. But what I would say is interesting is that I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the Martian glass tubes. Uh, again, if you Google NASA photo Mars glass tubes, um, you'll see these weird tube-like things uh, on various parts of Mars, and they kind of, I mean, even Arthur C. Clarke, you know, the famous sci-fi writer, Arthur C. Clarke actually was quite wide open to the possibility that these so-called glass tubes were actually some sort of ancient, like a delivery system on Mars, kind of like the the New York subway or the London underground uh, train systems. And again, if you look at those tubes, you know, they're huge. And they're on various parts of Mars. And um, and again, it's hard to rationalize what they actually are other than what they seem to be, these gigantic tubes. So, you know, the, the big irony is that the canals on Mars sort of pre-existed or, or you know, came before the tube, so to speak, you know, of, um, around about a century or so. And yet it was a case almost of... You know, sort of truth versus fiction, or the other way around. But yeah, if you, again, if you look at the those pictures, it's an anomaly. Again, whether you, you look at that face hugger, you look at the crowned face. You know, you look at the tubes, and there's also the the photos of what have become known as the banyan trees. B a n y a n. Again, Google Mars banyan trees, and you'll see what looks these fantastic photographs. Um, They kind of look like somebody sat in an airplane over Arizona, took a picture out of the window and photographed a bunch of trees. That's literally what it looks like. Now, NASA say that they're not trees, they're actually just ice particles. But again, you know, if you look at them, to me, they look like really weird extraterrestrial bushes or trees and again that sort of goes back to when we brought up this issue of you know about me being concerned about being criticized well i can stand here and and you know make a good case that yes they are bushes or trees and that yes this is some sort of delivery system these tubes and yes this is some sort of eight-legged weird creature climbing up this bit of a cave, you know, I'm, I'm happy to sort of stand there or sit there and, and hopefully pummel the enemy into, uh, you know, sort of <laughs>
18: stop it,
10: you know. <laughs> well, I mean, well, well, anyone who's interested in this has looked at a lot of these things and, you know, we see that they do look anomalous they they're very interesting and then you look closer and then they, and closer and of course the closer you get the less interesting they become and then you think well what's the scientific explanation and then that seems to make sense but there's still this idea that okay there's something going on there and i'm not so sure that you're maybe off on the point about some sort of Gradual disclosure, like all of these things, are getting us used to the idea that there really is something more to Mars than what we know. Even if these examples do turn out to be some sort of natural geological formations or something like that, it's 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 preparing us psychologically for the idea that there really is more there than what we've been told. I don't know if you did this in your book, but. Uh, you know looked into any of this so this is a question that's kind of right out there like more than two-thirds of the missions that they've launched towards mars to try and figure out things in the past especially when they have like high resolution cameras and stuff failed and not all of them have explanations that mm-hmm. that really fit or did they fail You know, it really makes you wonder if they if they have more than they're showing us. And this is just kind of that tip of the iceberg where we can look at it and go, yeah, it looks like there's something there or is there. But, hmm. What do you think of that? Well,
1: yeah, I mean, you know, to sort of. um Go with the one angle first, disclosure. I mean, the, the disclosure angle is just a theory, you know, as to try and understand as to why, for the conspiracy theorists, you know, that they're looking at it from the perspective that, yes, this could be disclosure coming, and that's why they're putting all the pictures out there. But, you know, you could make it a far easier and simpler case that, NASA just doesn't think they show anything, so why not just put it all out for the U- UFO people to play with? You know, that could be the scenario. And it's important thing to note in the book, you know, this isn't sort of like um, an I want to believe type Fox Mulders kind of thing. I mean, some of these anomalies with the um, that some people have said, you know, they think it's this and it's that, I completely dismiss it. You know, it's not like I've sort of got 20 photographs and they're all of so-called anomalies, and I buy into all 20. You know, there's an entire chapter pointing out how some of these turn out to be garbage. But the important thing is, I don't think they all are garbage. I think, you know, what happens When you start looking for things like this, then clearly eventually you are going to come across something that superficially looks like this or looks like that. But that doesn't mean, you know, every one of them has to go into the same bucket, so to speak. Um, So for me, you know, it's a case of carefully looking at the data. And if, um, you know, I hope when I... Do debate people, you know, I don't sort of do it from the perspective of some kind of, you know, paranoid conspiracy theorist who, you know, sort of sees a a cover-up or a conspiracy around every corner. What I think is that probably in the distant past, I really do think there was some sort of Martian civilization, but we're talking hundreds of thousands of years ago, and what is left is so, you know, sparse. But in saying that, some of it may be really sparse. But in saying that, it kind of also opens your eyes. And I mean, and I'm, although I mentioned it twice, you know, that face hugger thing, NASA actually wouldn't really comment fully on that. They just said, well, you know, uh, there's this this phenomena, you know, a where you. Um, You know, you can see faces in clouds, etc. And um, but they didn't really address, you know, the, the fact that it really does look extremely strange.
0: The other question would be here is why would anyone create a formation that looked like a face that large? How large is it, by the way? But we're talking about thousands of miles, hundreds of miles in size?
1: Which, which one do you mean?
0: Face on Mars.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean it's of significant size, you know, the face on Mars. And uh, and so is the, the crowned face. Now, what's intriguing about both of them is that although they look slightly different, both of them are on the surface looking upwards. You know, there's nothing like a statue looking outwards. Um, And the other issue as well, of course, is, you know, people have said, well, these just kind of look like Egyptian um, sculptures, you know, whether it's pyramids, you know, or something that looks like the Sphinx, that kind of thing. And there's also this really interesting... Um, image which this is g- sort of re- going to sound really weird, but there's a photograph you can find, and again, it is a legitimate NASA picture which seems to show um, a photograph. Well, it is a photograph, but it, it looks like an image um, of um, the uh, Egyptian queen Nefertiti. And if you look at a side on genuine picture, and then you look at this overhead image, it looks identical, really. Uh, and again, if you if you Google Mars, Nefertiti photo, you'll see what I mean. Now, people have said, well, you know, they just kind of look like the sort of things that would be, you know, built on Earth thousands of years ago. But my answer is, why is it that all these anomalies, whether you buy into them or not, why is it that they all seem to have an Egyptian aspect to them? Why isn't? Why aren't we seeing similar situations like, for example, Greek um, archaeology um, and sculpture? You know, and architecture.
0: We it's got more to of- come with Nick Redfern, Gene, and Randall. You're in the paragast. <laughs> Use the coupon code...
9: Back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Jane Steinberg.
0: Yes, I'm looking at the picture right now, color photo that supposedly looks like Nefertiti, and I don't know how or to what degree it's enhanced. But yeah, I would have the same question why would it resemble at all an Egyptian figure and not something else?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, architecture from, from Rome, ancient Rome, ancient Greece, you're not seeing similarities on Mars there. But we are seeing things that su- superficially look like pyramids. And there's also the Twin Peaks photograph, which seems to show in the distance, if you blow it up, it kind of looks like a sphinx on Mars. You know, you've got, like, the body and the head and almost like the paws poking out. A lot of it really does come down to how, you know, the individual interprets this, because a big issue, of course, is that we cannot get there and see them. And again, I don't think this was down to cover-up. When NASA finally got around to, um, you know, taking pictures of the face on Mars uh, for a second time, There was a reluctance to do that, and a lot of people said, you know, they're hiding something. I don't think that was the case. I think NASA was just tired of hearing about the face on Mars and just didn't want to do it. You know, I can't blame them. You know, from their perspective, they're scientists. They're not looking for... They're not sort of alien seekers, ancient alien seekers. They're they're scientists. They're technicians. You know, I, I don't see any conspiracy in NASA not wanting to do this. I think they were just sort of pissed that people were trying to bully them into photographing the face again. And they, you know, they're sort of arms folded and reluctant and finally decided to do it to shut people up, not because they were hiding anything.
10: It is interesting, though, that that they're doing any of this at all. When you think about it, this it, kind of hit me about it, oh, just a couple of weeks ago because... There was another article about some space probe that they sent out. And I thought, well, I didn't even know about that one. It was one that had gone out to Saturn. And these things are horrendously expensive. And the, the, the one, the Curiosity rover, that part of that one, they just sort of, they said, they did this anyway. They said that the descent stage, they just essentially jettisoned off and let it crash into mars and uh, and i'm like you know they spend like what hundreds of millions of dollars doing this and then they just what they just take part of it and crash it it's there's just something about this that doesn't make a lot of sense to me i I think they are looking for something that is more than just an interesting geological formation i think they are trying to find real evidence of other life on other worlds if they can maybe when they go out to the asteroid belt they're looking for meteors or meteorites to eventually mine but i really do think there probably is even if it's unsaid or it's unspoken they're hoping to find it and they think it's out there and they are looking
1: yeah you're absolutely right i think that there's no doubt in my mind that, that the that nasa is legitimately looking for life on mars um, But I think what they view as evidence of life on Mars is very different to what I believe is evidence of life on Mars. And so for them, they're still looking, having found nothing, and I've gone through, you know, thousands of photographs which makes me believe that there actually is evidence there and NASA have found it, even though they don't agree that it actually shows what it seems to show. Now, of course, you know, that kind of debate can go on forever. Uh, And again, primarily because Mars is so far away, and unless the rovers and the, you know, the orbiters are in the right place at the right time, you know, you're not really going to see what you hope to see, or in NASA's case, which they don't care to see. (laughs) So, you know, this is what you sort of... Up to is we're talking about an ancient mystery, you know, and the evidence for whatever it may be is an incredible distance away, and we're reliant upon a handful of pictures of this image, of that image, and then click your fingers because that's it, you know. Um, And so, you know, if you look at it from that perspective, uh, which I've done, and I've demonstrated. You know the the, the problems with getting to Mars, the problems of analysing the pictures, and all of this. You know, I, I'm not coming from the. I hope I'm not coming. I hope from the perspective of some sort of ranting paranoid um, person who. You know, sort of um, screaming and shouting every time somebody says no. That's just you know, that's paradigm, That's all it is. You know. No,
10: so, no, no, I not think, at all, Nick. Like, yeah. like you've never been known no, to be people, like that. You know, like yeah, it's my in people, my experience anyway. You, yeah, you've I mean, always but some people I think probably you know are think it's like a sens-
1: sens- sensationalized story. It isn't, as I said. There's an entire chapter on. Anomalies, which I think are absolutely not anomalies, you know, um, because to uh, to sort of support every one of these anomalies, you know, you'd have to look at the person and say, well, hang on a minute, they're just buying into everything, and when you buy into everything, you know, that really does kind of smack of Fox Mulder, you know. I want to believe, um, and you, and we can't do that. Um, there actually, there there was a bit of feedback on some comments I'd made in the book on some of the things, like, for example, somebody, um, thought what in one of the pictures that it showed like an ancient helmet, uh, of some sort of, you know, like a bronze helmet that a, you know, that a warrior would, would wear. And I just don't buy into that. For example, I mean, I can see why they why they think that's what it is but there's a few sort of lumpy parts here and there which make me think it's just you know a, a right. piece of rock and, which, and of which course happens, there,
10: you know there, there have also been you know completely hoaxed photos too that have shown up on the internet that you know have not come from nasa where where people who you know want to feed into this idea they do that, and I'm sure that that doesn't help, just like there's faked UFO photos. It doesn't mean there's not real ones.
1: No, you're right. And, um, I mean, there's others like that, that do intrigue me, like, for example, on both Mars and on one of its um, moons, uh, Phobos. There's, and, these, and these are legitimate pictures um, from NASA. They seem to show um, kind of similar... Um, like, like like little almost not I say statues, but um sort of plaques almost or um you know kind of like the one in two thousand and one a space odyssey, you know when at the start you've got these very primitive humans and um and you know this monolith suddenly turns up and um you know sort of upgrades their intelligence and um well, you can see um very identical, almost identical ones. Um, I mean, some of the NASA pictures, one on Phobos and one on Mars. And again, you know, Google Mars, Phobos, um, Monolith, and um, and you'll see them. Even um, Buzz Aldrin, you know, was impressed by those from the perspective of actually seeming to have been sort of created intelligently rather than just, you know, a rock. I mean, they both look like... Um, tall pillars just standing there carved, you know, like, um, like I said, like, like a monolith, really.
10: Yeah. There's no question that there's some really interesting stuff going on there. And you know, to me, you know, I might be, I might be actually willing to go maybe, maybe a bit of a step further than even yourself to some extent. I mean, I know that, you know, you kind of resist the idea of the sort of the conspiracy aspect of things, but yeah. You know, I can't help but think that with all of the explorations that they've done and all of the detection equipment that they've got, and I'm talking about the scientific community in general, uh, including the military, and NASA is, I believe, is sort of quasi-military, if not still run in part by the Department of Defense. I mean, I think they probably do have stuff that nobody's seen. You know, we're going to have something else that nobody has seen in just a moment
0: here. Then we'll continue with our friend Nick Redfern. With Gene and Randall, you're in...
17: The Paracast.
0: Hey, listeners. I want you to have the entire Paracast experience. So I'd like to tell you about After the Paracast. After the Paracast is an exclusive feature for subscribers to the Paracast Plus. Once again, theparacast.plus. Prices are just $1.50 a week, less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out theparacast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus.
8: Today many of us
6: are paying attention to our health and what we eat plays an important role but so often the water we drink is a mere afterthought when it should be a primary part of our daily nutrition. Real water would like to change how you think about the water you drink and how it can play an important role in helping your body restore balance and reach its full potential. The key benefits of every bottle of real water are stabilized negative ions, balanced pH, detoxification and it hydrates you like never before. And yes, it tastes great. Real water is beyond alkalinity and due to its proprietary process called E2 Technology, it's the only drinking water on the market that can maintain a stable negative ionization, which means real science in every bottle. Order your Real Water today and take advantage of special pricing for this audience only by calling 1-855-REALWTR or visiting buyrealwaternow.com. That's 1-855-REALWTR or buyrealwaternow.com. Order now. 1-855-REALWTR or buyrealwaternow.com.
9: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast
0: community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Nick Redfern. The book is The Martians, about all the incredible Martian mysteries. Now, Just to bring this back a little bit, too, since we've been talking about the face on Mars and all this stuff, are you familiar with the book Death on Mars, the discovery of a planetary nuclear massacre from John Brandenburg?
10: Yes, yeah.
0: What's your take on this theory?
1: Well, I mean, I find that interesting because you know it's talking about essentially um, parallels between you know the sort of devastation as what happens. You know, with, it, with an atomic weapon, a nuclear weapon on Earth. You know, the the fallout and the um, well, not just a, the, not just the the fallout, but I mean, you know, you've got the way in which you know, a blast occurs and things like this. And um, if you look at the parallels that he's made between the the scenario of like a, an atomic explosion on Mars, and then paralleling it with what we know is about new you know, about. Uh, nuclear weapons today, you can make a case that the destruction was done under uh, both circumstances. You know, the, excuse me, one circumstance, but under two different situations. So I think You know, he's done some intriguing work. I mean, for example, you know, when the first atomic bomb went off at the Trinity site in New Mexico in 1945, you know, there was a lot of debate as to what might happen or what might not happen. They weren't 100 percent sure, you know. But one of the uh, things that nobody really sort of foresaw to a significant degree was the the sudden creation of what's known as trinitite. And basically, when you've got a sandy environment and you detonate an atomic weapon, it gets the uh, sand, the sandy ground gets so heated that it turns into like a green glass. And it's called trinitite because the site was was the Trinity site uh, where they blasted the the first atomic bomb now you can actually find identical uh, phenomena to trinitite in egypt in australia and you know when you when you put those two issues together at the very least i mean it, it's intriguing even for example if you you know you look at the story you'll see that um, none other than tutankhamun actually wore a piece of you know similar to trinitite in, as um, as a necklace And that's pretty amazing. That's a true story. Now, when you look at this angle of ancient Trinitites uh, being found in the Middle East and also in Australia, and then, you know, you've got Brandenburg's research, it kind of does um, suggest that maybe in the distant past there really were civilizations like ours, maybe, you know, Martians, maybe even Martians who came here who were perceived as gods, you know, and ended up in localized nuclear Wars, you know, and you put all that together and and which I did. You know, I've got a chapter in the book on the idea or the scenario of ancient nuclear war and possibly with the so-called gods having been Martians that fled their world when things spiraled into, you know, sort of chaos.
0: Well, is not the book The Sky People from Brinsley-Labor Trench? That speculated on the Garden of Eden being on other world, maybe Mars.
7: Yeah, and I think
1: you know the the problem for us today is that, you know, the a lot of the legends are sort of so simplistic or part of the history and the story of it is gone. You know. I mean look if you look at for example, um Sodom and Gomorrah, I mean You know, from the perspective of the Old Testament, this is sort of the wrath of God, you know, and destroying the cities. But from a simple, and it is sort of a a simplistic kind of um, description, but if you look into it deeper, you could make a good case that, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by localized the smaller, if you like, um, uh, atomic nuclear weapons and, you know, the whole angle of uh, Lot's wife, you know, being t- turned to um, a-, a pillar of salt, um, you know, that kind of thing and vaporized. Um,
10: and yeah, course, well, it's, that- it's really eerie, actually. I mean, when you think of, you know, okay, you've got Sodom and Gomorrah then you've got Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right? and. Yeah. Th- You've got shadows etched into stone of people there that are there to this day. So, yeah, it is pretty weird that the similarities, where would they even come up with the idea for a story like that that long ago if there wasn't, you know, something?
1: Yeah. And, of course, the important thing to note is that if this was just sort of, like, say, I don't know, like a meteorite strike, you know, which is not impossible You know, maybe in the distant past there was sort of a meteorite strike slammed into the ground. There was so much heat going through the atmosphere that it could have created trinitite, or an equivalent. You know, I'm not writing that off, but what I would say, it would be extremely coincidental if these were just random asteroids or meteorites and they just happened to hit cities rather than just any part of wasteland around the world. <laughs> yeah, you know, And a yeah. lot of people don't realize that, a lot of people don't realize that there are actually five cities were targeted for destruction. It wasn't, one of them survived, but it, it actually wasn't just, um, you know, um, Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and, you know, other parts of the world as well, you can find massive destruction, you know, stories like, the Mahabharata, which I know has a lot of controversy about it, you know, the Indian Mahabharata. Some people think, you know, that kind of depicts or, you know, tells the story of an ancient nuclear war. Other researchers say no. But, you know, the the debate is there though.
10: So oh, certainly it and surprise and, me, you know. Yeah, and and you have well, I mean, in those myths I mean you know, if there's any truth to them at all, I mean the there were people who were informed beforehand that it was going to happen and it was going to happen in these places. So that doesn't sound very random to me.
1: No, it doesn't. And, um, so, I mean, we, we sort of got threads, you know, and theories here, but, and, but if you put all this together, you know, the CIA stuff, um, Ingo Swan, you know, the, the issue of the Martians looking very much like us, but, extremely tall etc etc you know whether you buy into it or not you can make a case of you know sort of worldwide disaster planet-wide disaster on mars the fleeing of a significant number uh, to the earth and being perceived as as gods when they actually were not gods and you know you've got the I wouldn't say the sudden, but you've certainly got the development of legends around the world of giants popping up here and popping up there. Now, that doesn't prove anything at all. But you can make a very intriguing scenario and maybe somewhere between an intriguing scenario and, you know, the the legends and the folklore and mythology that we do have some sort of degree of reality there.
0: We've got more legends in reality from here, and then we'll get on with Nick and Gene and Randall. You're in the Paracast.
7: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
11: USA Radio News with Dan Naraki Declaring victory. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden declared victory in the 2020 election Saturday after multiple media outlets called Pennsylvania for him. President Donald Trump is still disputing the results in several states as the campaign has filed legal challenges in Arizona and Pennsylvania and is asking for a recount in Wisconsin. Speaking to supporters Saturday night, Biden said he'd work to win the confidence of all Americans.
12: I pledge to be a president. Who seeks not to divide, but unify. Who who doesn't see red states and blue states, only sees the United States. And work with all my heart, with the confidence of the whole people, to win the confidence of all of you.
11: USA Radio News has not called the race for Biden, but will wait until all legal challenges are resolved. This is USA Radio News. Rescue workers are searching for more than 100 people feared buried in a landslide in Guatemala triggered by Hurricane Ada. Fifteen people are confirmed dead in the town of San Cristobal, Verapaz, with another 109 still missing. Ada has moved back into the Caribbean Sea and re-strengthened into a tropical storm. It's currently heading for Cuba and is expected to turn north late Sunday, where it could further strengthen back into a Category 1 hurricane and threaten the Florida Keys and southern coast of the state. Speaking at a press conference in Philadelphia, President Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, says the Trump campaign will continue to dispute the election results in Pennsylvania. Alleging that Republican observers were not allowed to watch the counting of ballots, Giuliani said the campaign would be taking further legal action.
13: And we have no way of knowing, because we've been deprived of the right to inspect, if, if a single one of those ballots is legitimate, that is unheard of, it's illegal, it's unconstitutional, and we will be bringing an action challenging that.
11: And I emphasize to you, it's only one of the many other infirmities in this election. This is USA Radio News. Would you like to get back that
5: full head of hair from years past? Introducing Reveal from GCNLife.com Beverly Hills dermatologist Dr. Nathan Newman invented Reveal which contains polypeptides with natural botanicals and no parabens sulfates, silicones or dyes for a salon quality hair growth product. Reveal. Here's Dr. Newman.
10: I have treated a lot of patients who lose their hair and they lose their confidence we've created a unique set of polypeptides which we call HPT6. The HPT6 contains the polypeptides
19: from six different plants. The scalp infusion treatment should be used on wet or dry scalp. The Reveal Hair Care System is designed to be used for men and women alike. Get Reveal
5: at GCNLife.com with a 30 day money back guarantee. So try Reveal today at GCNLife.com or 844 443 6637. Plus a discount up to 25% off for Reveal at GCNLife.com or 844 443 6637.
1: This is Jacques Vallée, and you're listening to the podcast, the gold standard of paranormal
0: radio. Okay, Nick Redfern, author of The Martians. I'm interested in the timing here. The implication from Dr. Brandenburg's book is that this happened long, long, long ago, but if these are legends that get into the Bible and other texts, it would mean a few thousand years ago. What? 3000 2500 whatever that would mean that this catastrophe on mars is very very recent and would that explain the stay of the planet now all this devastation just did far worse than we'd ever expect
1: well yeah i mean i actually i, I reference that in the book as well I, I think the exact words are something like you know the, the time frame i I say something like it's totally chaotic, you know, when we try and put this, the full picture together. Now, one of the scenarios I I presented as a scenario was that, yes, you know, it's possible that, you know, something happened to Mars, the Martians fled to the Earth, and, you know, that could have been 100,000 years ago. However, that doesn't take away the fact that further on down the line, then that could have been when, you know, sort of um, an ancient nuclear war occurred. In other words, I'm not saying that the Martians came to the Earth hundreds of thousands of years ago and within days of, you know, landing, they screwed up our planet as well. You know, there could have been tens of thousands of years of just paradise and no problems. And um, like on our earth, you know, on our planet. Um, but then, for the most part, <laughs> but then, you know, something goes wrong. And what are the, which stories in the ancient past are likely to be put down, you know, on papyrus or on stones, etc. Which Which ones are most likely to be written down are gonna be the significant events in society in their society, you know, they wouldn't be putting down everything little thing that's going on every day. Oh, I walk the dog, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, uh, well speak for yourself,
0: some people do that. The time factor is interesting, which is here, these legends, how far back do we really trace them? Because we assume the Bible is something that has been passed on from generation to generation and possibly even rewritten, manipulated to be more acceptable. We can't tell how far this came back. With the legends of Atlantis and Lemuria, all this stuff, the Shaver mystery, all that, it didn't take place on Earth, it took place on Mars.
1: Well, yeah, you're right. And I mean, the the time frame for all this, you know, a lot of people, not just on the Martian mysteries, but also with the Old Testament, you know, they will say, you know they know the time frame when this happened. Well, they may have a good idea, or they may not have a good idea. But the fact is, you know, when we start going back into you know ancient times and when human civilization started to you know develop, et cetera. I mean, there's a lot of issues when it comes to trying to you know put specific dates to specific you know sort of ancient events. You know, it's hard to say for sure. In that sense, I agree that time frames, you know, that is a big issue. Um, if you're talking about, you know, one civilization coming from there to here, etc., etc. But again, I mean, something like Sodom and Gomorrah, that's, that's a simplistic story when you read it. It's not like we're talking about a 400-page story. about how it all happened. In fact, the story itself, you know, it doesn't take long to read. And so, in that sense, you know, it it really does simplify the story into, you know, what could be a story from 10,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, or was it actually just an inherited story that maybe was altered, you know, to... um, you know, to create another perspective. We, we just don't know. And I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of these ancient stories, that's all we've got. We don't have anything other than the words of people written down in, in ancient texts.
0: Well, maybe well, the mean, ending I mean, of Battlestar Galactica, is. then the remaking of the TV series was all true, that the <laughs> remnants... Of the civilization looking for Earth landed here over a hundred thousand years ago. I mean, at least scientists keep finding earlier and earlier origins for the human species.
10: So you never know. And hey, yeah, you guys. Like, I think both you guys are making some good points here. Like we know that mythology actually predates some of our civilization. We're not entirely sure where it comes from, and they, because, or at least the topics of some of the mythology, it's like where did it really come from to begin with? Like you mentioned gene-like Atlantis, for example. Well, that was supposed to have been around a long time before even the civilization that invented the myth. So, And then there's these Ooparts where they find, you know, the odd strange artifact like a platinum fastener that seems to be, you know, 100,000 years old. Well, maybe if what you're saying is true, Nick, that they came here a long, long time ago, much longer than than simply biblical times, and that would give Mars a chance to sort of become obscured by time, as well as any evidence of their landing here being obscured in time, and then we'd only be dealing with a small number of them, like not their whole civilization would make it, so there wouldn't be a lot of evidence, but we'd still get these myths and these strange little mysteries that kind of fit the picture.
1: Well, actually, you make a good point there, because, I mean, if you look at a lot of these ancient texts, whether, you know, sort of Christian or or, or anything, you know, it doesn't matter. A lot of these stories, we're not talking about, you know, you don't really see many stories where thousands of these giants, you know, roam in the landscape, that kind of thing. You know, it's sort of... I won't say isolated, but to a degree isolated events in the same way that we have UFO events today. I mean, like, for example, Ezekiel's wheel, you know, Moses going out, you know, into the wilderness that and and communing with God. We're not talking about something like Independence Day. These are sort of small, isolated, random events that have taken on a huge you know, sort of image, if you like, within ancient religious books. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I could easily understand how a colony, if you like, fled Mars, came to the Earth, and were perceived um, as gods, and possibly even the Martians realized what the early people perceive them as and then they could possibly you know sort of turn the tables and yes we're the gods you know and you better listen to us that kind of thing
10: (laughs) well it was always Uh, kind of uh, funny how it was like yeah you know just uh, can you just barbecue me up uh, one of your finest uh, you know uh, specimens of cattle or sheep or what you have there for dinner tonight please and uh, send your daughter along to deliver it you know
1: (laughs) it's like
15: uh, (laughs) But, but I think
1: you know so it's sort of like a simpli- simplified scenario. But um, but the fact is, you know, a lot of these stories, they come from the Middle East, so sort of the India, Pakistan area, and South America um, and, and Central America. And if you think of it like that, you know, there's still a huge amounts of the planet. You know, I mean, you're not really... We don't really get too many... Reports like this, or historical events, you know, coming from you know what is now, you know, uh, Russia, shall we say, you know, or Germany or Italy, you know, it's the these really ancient stories are localized, um, and and that could explain why you know that, that if there was a limited number of beings coming here, then. That would explain the possibility that um, not many did survive. I mean, one of the people I interviewed for the book was the um, the late Mac Tony. So I interviewed him um, about five years uh, before he died. So that would have been around about two thousand and five, two thousand and six, something like that. And he actually did think that was a possibility.
0: We've got more to come with Gene Randall and Nick. You're in
1: the Paracast. <laughs>
14: You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com. And if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code GEORGE for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more. And this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. ParanormalDate.com. And use
20: the code George if you decide to connect with someone you like. Health insurance hotline today. Learn how this 10-minute call can help you get lower health insurance rates. This is a free service to help consumers learn the laws to help them qualify for lower health insurance rates. So call right now to learn more. 800-670-0946. 800-670-0946. Call 800-670-0946. 800-670-0946.
21: Hey, this
6: is Marie D. Jones The author of this book is from the future And you are listening to the Paracast The gold standard of paranormal radio
0: Nick Redfern, an author of The Martians, joins us We're talking briefly here about the late Mac Tonies. He wrote a book, a very thin book Called The Crypto-Terrestrials which was published after he died. And he was a guy in his 30s. I mean, really sad. He was on the PowerCast a few times. Just really, really fascinating guy with lots of interesting thoughts. But certainly, that book had a lot of stuff worthy of consideration. But what we're seeing here is, based on what you're telling us, Nick, is that it's possible a lot of these ancient legends can be traced to Mars. So I'm going to go back to Mars for a second. So we have the face on Mars or the faces on Mars. If this happened 50,000, 100,000 years ago, whatever, wouldn't there be more traces of an advanced civilization there than we find from our probes?
1: You're not talking about ancient structures on Earth. You mean on
0: Mars? I'm speaking specifically on Mars. If all of this went down from a nuclear war, whatever changing atmospheric conditions, how long ago would it have happened? And it seems more recent to survive the memory or the legends here on Earth. But wouldn't there be more evidence of this civilization?
13: Well,
1: it's hard to say. I mean, you know, our culture is sort of very much, you know, built around well, you know, our civilization, we all know what it looks like, Um, one of the important things is that maybe Mars, you know, although it's it's smaller than our world, you know, but in saying that, maybe the Martian civilization at any given time was actually not that huge. There's so many people on Earth because so many people have kids. I mean, I'm just speculating now, what if, you know, the Martians had um, like a a program where everybody's limited to one child. The point I'm trying to make is their civilization may be very diffi- different to ours, you know. So, in other words, if we're talking about a world that went to war, you know, worldwide nuclear war, or if it was something like... Um, as as some researchers have suggested, you know, maybe the asteroid belt at some point, that something happened and, you know, a multitude of asteroids slammed into Mars and just, you know, pretty much destroyed it. Whatever the scenario is that you you go with, you know, the, the way I look at it is that both would create mass destruction. And if we're talking about events that occurred, let's say, Hundred, hundred and fifty thousand 150,000 years ago, I'm not really sure how much would still be left, you know, beyond those anomalies. Now, you know, we're still finding those anomalies. And the other thing we have to remember also, okay, it's not as big as the Earth, but but it's a, it's, you know, it's a big body, you know. And the fact is that we don't really have too many, you know, rovers trundling around the Martian surface. I mean, you imagine... A world sort of say two-thirds the side of our planet, and you've got one or two rovers to cover the whole planet and try and find what you can. the chances of actually finding something are really rare, but the fact that or should be rare, but the fact is we are finding a lot of anomalies, which suggests if you, where you when you go looking, you really do find a lot of these anomalies. You know, which to me does suggest that if you go looking, you're actually finding quite a lot, which sort of goes with the scenario of if you actually go there and look, you will find that stuff.
10: Well, that's certainly the suggestion. And uh, just uh, prior to the break, a couple of segments ago. I was asking, you know, proposing, and this is actually one of the questions on the sites that sells your book that you talk about in your book, The Martians, Evidence of Life on the Red Planet, asks, has NASA already found such evidence, but has chosen to withhold such monumental finds from the public and the media? What do you think?
1: Well, if there is a cover-up within NASA, I don't believe at all that the vast majority are involved I mean, it's kind of like with the, the CIA and the remote viewing thing. I'm sure 99% of the CIA did not know anything about that because it was outside of their realm of work, you know. Um, you know, some guy who whose job it is to um, take photographs of Russian missile-based bases is not going to be told about, you know, a secret program to remote view Mars. So I think that's kind of a a similar situation. I don't think the average employee at NASA, if there is a cover-up, knows anything about it. Number one, because I don't think the secret could be hidden long enough. I think the the word would get out too quickly. And the other angle in relation to that, that I just don't think we're actually seeing that. You know, I just don't think we're, we're seeing you know, a massive attempt to hide material that would really answer the question, you know, was there life on Mars? And is there still life on Mars? However, could a small kind of group of people hide something from not just us and the media, but also for tens and tens of thousands of NASA employees? I guess it could be done. I mean, it could be done if if all they'd got Is incriminating photographs, and that really is all that we have. That would actually be quite easy to hide that, because all you've got to do is shove them in a filing cabinet and make sure nobody ever gets to to them. So it's, it's not difficult, but I would think... You know I kind of make parallels with Roswell now, regardless of what happened at Roswell, a lot of people legitimately we know we can prove were working at Roswell when all everything happened in out in the desert, etc etc. and they'd come forward I mean if you've got all these old people from the military coming forward talking about that, why isn't it? Why is it that um we're hardly getting any old timers coming forward, talking about um, about Mars, you know, some old 85, 95-year-old guy, you know, saying, oh, I saw these pictures back in the 60s. A couple of people have done that, but hardly any on any great scale. So that makes me think that if there's a cover-up within NASA, it has to be extremely small, and it's hiding probably not much other than highly incriminating amazing pictures
8: let me ask
0: an overall overarching question here and we've got a lot to talk about and we'll probably have you back on after the power cast to continue this and other discussions nick but with regard to all this is there any earthly reason to keep it a secret to say hey there may have been an advanced civilization or intelligent civilization on mars we're kind of sort of hinting that Mars was more habitable. This is fairly obvious from the results of the probes we've had. So wouldn't that be something worth telling people? It doesn't necessarily have to have any influence on our current lives unless we assume there are Martians now and that they're sending their craft to us. Otherwise, why keep it a secret?
20: Well,
1: If it's just the case that, yes, there's life on another world and it came here, and, yes, we found evidence of, you know, structures like pyramids and, um, you know, weird creatures and trees and bushes, that would be amazing. And, and, And you're right, I don't see any reason as to why that kind of thing would be hidden. You know, I mean, what's the point of hiding the fact that you found... A seven foot wide crab like creature. I mean, there's no. I mean, the people aren't going to sort of have you know have sleepless nights. You know, over that, they might well they might be having sleepless nights for a couple of days, thinking how amazing it is. But there's nothing to be frightened or worried about. The only real reason I can think of as to why a small group you know, this theoretical small group would hide all this and not tell anyone would be because it would impact on civilization. And the only thing I can think of that would provoke huge uh, worldwide, um, I won't say panic, but certainly disturbance, is the issue of the connection to religion. You know, what if it's proved, or or this small group suspects that the martians came to here yeah they were much taller than us they became the giants of all these ancient texts and so then suddenly you know sort of the penny drops and somebody realizes that our ancient gods were actually not ancient gods they were martians and that means you know well this god or that god was never a, like a supernatural deity they were just like us and then of course does that mean well if there's no gods does that mean there is no god does it mean there's no afterlife
0: that certainly can put an interesting slant on it we've got more to come with nick gina randall you're in the Paracast.
7: thank you for listening to gcn
9: Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors, classic science fiction at its best, available now. For more details, visit Rockoids.com. That's R O C K O
15: I D S.com. Jake was in big trouble with the IRS. He owed how much? 92 Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. (laughs) Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625.
9: 800-503-8625. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
0: So it's Nick Redfern, author of The Martians, looking here at the possibility that an ancient Martian civilization, possibly destroyed in a nuclear conflagration, came to Earth and set up shop here, maybe dealt with the locals, maybe... Had cohabitation with the daughters of men, that we are the descendants, we are in part the Martians. How would this impact our civilization? And of course, the key question here is how would the tenets of religions be impacted if we weren't talking about divine intervention but Martian intervention? That's your point?
1: Well, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, sort of, <laughs> you know, divine, you know, and versus. Uh, martians and and i think the important thing to note is that that really would sort of change society and it's the only thing i can think of that it would change society and um and inevitably you know you'd have all these questions well is the old testament actually just a sort of radically altered story of alien visitations i mean there would be uproar i mean you only have to look at how religion you know provokes wars around the world you, you know you go down the the path even further and say well, there actually aren't any gods you know but there's but there were a bunch of aliens from mars that made it here uh, there would be uproar now one of the things i talk about right at the very end of the book is is that angle and i sort of draw the parallel with the original 1968 Planet of the Apes movie, where you know you've got Charlton Heston's um, character Taylor and Dr. Zayas, who's the uh, in the in the Apes, he's the uh, the primary scientist, and he knows the truth that before the Apes sort of you know evolved even further and and could speak, etc. Dr. Zayas knew that there was an ancient civilization of humans that came before the apes, and so what did he do? Well, he hid it, you know, and he, he hid the story of the Forbidden Zone, and then, you know, Charlton Heston's character stumbles across the ruined Statue of Liberty. And so... I think you can make interesting parallels there where Dr. Zayas tries to hide this because releasing it would demonstrate that before the apes ruled the world, man really did, and he'd he dare not reveal that material. And I think that could be one of the really telling situations that, that releasing it would cause mayhem. And that, that, re- like I said, that's really the only thing I can think of. But I think it is a viable scenario because religion causes so much crap all the time. So why not just add Martians to it? You know? <laughs>
10: Another question that is asked uh, when you go to find your book on the at the usual places like Amazon, which it is out now, I'm assuming, at all the regular yeah. bookstores and stuff. It, it asks, and by the way, it's getting really good reviews, which is good to see. It is, uh, yeah. yeah, it asks. Well, what kind of society did the Martians have?
1: Well, I mean, I would imagine that any living entity you know would have some sort of society i mean you know we have a society gorillas have societies i mean and nets nests you know the ants all work together so i think on any planet you would have a society it wouldn't just be like random animals or creatures roaming around the landscape you know because just about everything on our world, you know, has, um, has a degree of, of society. So I think it would be like that. Now, if we're talking about created pyramids and um, you know carvings of faces looking up at the sky and, e- and even sort of um, sculpted things, you know, that kind of look like ancient Egyptian carvings, that would suggest strongly you know obviously well, it would obviously would demonstrate intelligence you know highly intelligent beings like us but also it would demonstrate the fact that you know the the issue of a culture you know not just a society but actual culture and and probably something not you know too dissimilar to us i think and i don't think there's anything unusual or surprising about that. I think, um, I mean, you could say that an ant is, you know, for all intents and purposes, alien to us. You know, how could you ever have a conversation with an ant? But you could watch a really cool TV documentary and see how they all work together and build all these tunnels and, you know, help the queen and all that, you know. I mean, if you look at it like that, that is a real mini advanced civilization, but to us, it's alien, you know, so um, so I, I, I would see, perceive them as not too dissimilar to us. But um, one thing that Mac Tonis brought up, and, and this kind of ties in as well, he, he admitted he didn't talk about this much but he did give it some great thoughts privately, was the idea that what if there was an ancient human civilization on our world, you know, maybe hundreds of thousands of years ago, and they developed a highly advanced civilization, uh, including space travel, and they went to Mars, and that at some point these ancient humans sort of created a world on mars you know um maybe not too many people but maybe a few thousand hundreds of thousands who knows and um so in other words why everything looks sort of human-like on mars maybe as as mac saw it possibly was because um we as an ancient very very ancient race went to mars and um Maybe something happened on Earth and they couldn't go back. And so they created a new civilization on Mars. But they wouldn't actually have been literal Martians. They would have been highly advanced ancient humans stranded on Mars. And so they tried their best to create an Earth-like world um, on Mars, which is which is a scenario not many people have thought about, but Mac did actually tell me, and this is in the book as well, where he said that he actually thought about that. And um, and in one of our chats as well, he said that, you know, if he did do a sort of a follow-up, he did think about doing a book on that scenario, the idea of an ancient human race that went to Mars and we perceived them as Martians, but there were never really any Martians, just ancient humans.
0: Well, then that would take all the legends that we're putting on Mars, moving them back to Earth and Mars merely being the remnants of a colony that we established there. And maybe we still had a war of some kind.
1: The problem is, but it's also fascinating, is that it's so difficult to, you know, put the full picture together. And, um, you know, we've got so many threads you know like I said why why is it if these these structures these formations why do they all seem to resemble Egyptian um, you know sort of culture rather than somebody else's um, it doesn't you know that's the fact and um, you know why is it that these faces sort of look out to the sky you know why are the CA doing this why were they getting ingo Swan involved and you um, Somewhere, somebody I think, you know, knows something, or probably more likely suspects strongly something. Um, And, you know, I mean, what we also know, and this is an important thing, is that NASA was not told about this um, CIA remote viewing. This was actually something that was kept very tightly. So. You know, when we talk about NASA or a conspiracy to hide the truth of what's going on Mars, it may, may, um, NASA may actually be out of the loop um, to this day. You know, if they weren't told by the CIA, then, then the CIA may know something. Well, maybe NASA itself is out of the loop. You know, they've got a lot of pictures, but a lot of people forget or don't even think about the other scenario that... The real truth may not be he- uh, held by NASA. It could be one of the agencies that, you know, sort of took the alternative approach, not sending rovers, but doing, psych- uh, you know, psychic viewing.
0: More to come, three more segments with Gene Randall and Nick. You're in The
2: Paracast. Oh! Hello Paracast people, I'm Greg Carlwood, the host of the Higher Side Chats podcast, an uninterrupted and action-packed interview-based show where I talk to some of the brightest minds for our troubled times about all things paranormal, occult, esoteric, and conspiratorial. After ten years, we've heard it all. Alien moon bases, archons, hollow earth, technocratic and biomedical agendas, magic, mind control, and Lovecraftian monsters. Oh my. Usually, the first hour of the show is free, and the second hour is for members who sign up for the Higher Side Chats Plus at $8 a month. But praise be, we're giving Paracast listeners two free weeks of plus when you use the all-caps coupon code PARACAST. Go to TheHigherSideChats.com, sign up with the code PARACAST, and dive into the nearly never-ending archive of great interviews I've been lucky enough to get over the years. From David Politis to David Icke, and many, many guests not named David. Check it out. You're going to love it. All right, was that good? Can we use that
17: one? Attention, business owners body slammed by overwhelming debt. If your business is in trouble, hassled by creditors, if you're frustrated, finally fed up with big business bailouts while your business has been left for dead, please listen close. There's a brand new fast track bankruptcy. Some have even called it the biggest small business bailout in American history designed for individuals and their businesses. And look, almost no one knows about this yet. My attorney wasn't even aware of it. The truth is beating the system has never been easy because it's rigged in a sense against the little guy. But here's the jaw-dropping news nobody's talking about. They've literally just changed the system so that you can beat it. But only if you understand how the new game has to be played. Find out if you qualify at PocketsOfLight.com This government-backed small business repair program is still legal, but may not be renewed after the election. Fight back fairly. Fight back ethically at PocketsOfLight.com. No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural...
8: We've all seen, and perhaps use, the alcohol-based hand sanitizers. Have you noticed how it dries your skin, and as soon as the alcohol evaporates, it's no longer effective? GCNteam.com has alcohol-free antibacterial soap and foam, meeting or exceeding all requirements set forth by the United States Food and Drug Administration. Come to GCNteam.com, keyword antibacterial, or call 877-878-4203.
9: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
0: Or we go to the other scenario, the secret space program, that we have the NASA space program, and then we have already sent advance spaceships to the moon, maybe to Mars, and that we are aware of what's going on there?
1: Well, you know, I thought about putting a chapter in the book on the, the secret space program angle, and I could have done, you know. Um, it wasn't like um, I was sort of stuck for, you know, for too many words or whatever. The primary issue I have with the secret space program is that you know, the the number of material and the number of people who have come forward with material and claims isn't that many. And the data that has come forward, a lot of it is so, to me, over the top and just too fantastic. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, we couldn't have a a secret space program. I think it's actually quite plausible. I'll tell you for why. If you look... Throughout all of the developments since, say, the end of the Second World War, you know, see how we've advanced with, um, you know, like computers for the main thing, you know, um, TVs, you know, science, medicine, that kind of thing. But if you look at how we get to space, we're still using rockets. You know, it's still brute force rocketry that we used to go back to uh, to go to the moon in 1969. And yet all of these other technologies, you know, that we've developed in that same time frame has gone in leaps and bounds, but um, not really so in relation to getting us off the planet. It's still brute force rocketry. You
0: know what bothers me, Nick, also, is that the nature of the space program, we made all this progress, we got to the moon in 1969 using computers Mm -hmm. that are so primitive compared to what we have now it's incredible but the space program died off but Mm -hmm. if it was handed off to another agency handled with black money maybe it did continue all these years that's that's the thing that always bothered me why did we just give it up
1: well i mean i actually find that quite plausible as i said i just wish that if that is the case then we would have more data and more people. I mean, for for now at least, what we've got is a lot of, or a fairly uh, large number of stories and claims which are really wild and crazy and bizarre, and we need more evidence to prove it, you know. But in saying that, I can see that being extremely plausible, the idea of sort of a spin-off. You know, because as I said, I mean, science, medicine have gone in huge advances. And although, yeah, you're right, with the computers on, you know, on the craft, but the technology to get there is basically still the same, you know, chemical rockets to get us off the planet. I would have thought by now, after 50 years after the moon landing, we'd have something beyond just brute force rocketry to get us off the planet when you look at all the other massive um, advances we've made. And I can also easily see, you know, if they develop some sort of highly advanced technology that would allow them to avoid the, you know, the major problems of having astronauts in, you know, a a spaceship which is going to take two years to get to Mars and two years back or whatever, you know, which is one of the big stumbling blocks right now you know could the astronauts actually psychologically do that there and back you know without going crazy but if they could actually do it with a secret space program and maybe get to mars in two and a half weeks well that's not too bad you know
0: so what do we do then about elon musk who wants to take us to mars in a couple of years does he still do that knowing At least our government knows some element of it that we are already possibly there.
1: Well, again, you know, I mean, I don't think he's part of some, you know, huge conspiracy. Uh, I don't think so either. I assume
0: he's just an honest, as honest as a business person can be. He's just an entrepreneur who succeeded in inventing his own spacecraft, still using this old technology.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think what he's doing is a great thing, you know, and I mean, you know, he's one of these like a go to person, you know, to, to, um, thinking out of the, you know, sort of the, the norm, if you like. That's what we need. I think I guess the one thing that um, we do have to be really aware of, though, is that issue of sending people to Mars. Now, depending on who you speak to, and what the technology is or what the technology may be, you know, in a few years, the, ta- the time to get to Mars and to get back again... You know, some have suggested, like, a year to 18 months, you know, if we had the right technology. That would be like a three-year round trip and maybe, let's say, three months on Mars when you're there. You know, I mean, psychologically, you know, how many people could survive on a relatively small craft for three years looking out the window, seeing black sky and little dots of white stars? And what if somebody on the trip you know, get sick. And in worse scenario, what if it's the the physician, the doctor who's on the ship? Then what happens psychologically, you know, would people start to sort of, you know, spiral? We don't really know what would happen if astronauts had to go to Mars and back and spend time on there for like three years would they come back, you know, totally normal? Would they even get there in a normal state? I mean, th- these are things far more intriguing and interesting to me than the the technology. It's would act, Would we actually be able to psychologically take astronauts to Mars?
0: Well, I suppose if we put them in some kind of suspended animation.
1: Yeah, but then you've got to develop that first, though.
0: <laughs> well okay yeah I understand that but right now we do send astronauts up for what six months at uh, a time
1: mmm well yeah but again psychologically those astronauts know that they're just you know a short distance from getting back down to earth you know when you get further and further out and the uh, you know you, you think about it the astronauts uh, that went to the moon you know we've got all these famous pictures that's only like 250,000 miles away, you know, and it's, uh, on average, the, the distance from Mars is 100 to the Earth, is 140 million miles. What happens when you can barely see the Earth? You know, all those astronauts have been there for, you know, to the, to, to the moon and orbiting the Earth, they've all been able to see the Earth, you know, and you've got that sense of warmth, you know, you get right out to nearly to Mars, what happens then when you can't hardly see the Earth? I mean, that that could be like a, a culture shock issue as well, because no astronaut has gone to, out of the Earth's atmosphere and not been able to see the to see the Earth. That,
0: well, isn't it the expectation? Isn't it the expectation, though, from Elon Musk that the trip to Mars may actually be a one-way trip that we would have to find a way to survive there and create some kind of colony there? And therefore, that's it for us. We end up on Mars. And that's, I know some people I'd like to send to Mars, but that's another story. We got Nick Redfern, Gene Steinberg, J. Randall Murphy. Nick, it's your turn. You're in. The Paracask.
7: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
11: USA Radio News with Dan Naraki Declaring victory. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden declared victory in the 2020 election Saturday after multiple media outlets called Pennsylvania for him. President Donald Trump is still disputing the results in several states as the campaign has filed legal challenges in Arizona and Pennsylvania and is asking for a recount in Wisconsin. Speaking to supporters Saturday night, Biden said he'd work to win the confidence of all Americans.
12: I pledge to be a president who seeks not to divide, but unify. Who who doesn't see red states and blue states, only sees the United States. And work with all my heart, with the confidence of the whole people, to win the confidence of all of you.
11: USA Radio News has not called the race for Biden, but will wait until all legal challenges are resolved. This is USA Radio News. The UAE is relaxing some of its restricted law code, Kenneth Burns has the details from the USA Radio News East Coast Bureau.
5: The United Arab Emirates announced a major overhaul of the country's Islamic personal laws. They're now allowing unmarried couples to cohabitate. They've also loosened alcohol restrictions and criminalized so-called honor killings. The broadening of personal freedoms reflects the changing profile of a country that has sought to build itself as a westernized, skyscraper-studded destination for tourists, fortune seekers, and businesses despite its Islamic legal code. The announcement follows a historic U.S. broker deal to normalize relations between the country and Israel, which is expected to bring an influx of Israeli tourists and investment. From the East Coast Bureau of USA Radio News, I'm Kenneth Burns.
11: Coronavirus cases in the U.S. continue to rise as the country has set a new record for daily new cases in each of the last three days. 126,000 new cases were reported on Friday, with the rolling seven-day average nearing 100,000 cases for the first time. This is USA Radio News.
21: Do you have health or energy challenges? Would you like to support your health and energy from a product that people consistently feel the uplifting and health-building effects from the first day they consume it? I introduce you to Green Meadow Whey, the only whey protein powder from grass-pastured cows that is processed in a manner that ensures that the proteins and amino acids remain in their correct geometric shape that the body can use. The naturally occurring proteins, peptides, and amino acids in renatured whey are proven to support multiple aspects of human health, from complementing your immune system to neutralizing chronic inflammation, to supporting detoxification, to stabilization of blood sugar, and more. Additionally, due to the Tesla-like frequencies encoded into Green Way, it is a dramatic support for your energy and mood. And it is an excellent emergency preparedness food with well over a five-year shelf life. To order, call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit GreenMeadoway.com. GreenMeadoway.com.
1: Lucy screenwriter, producer. You're listening to Paracast,
10: the gold standard of paranormal radio.
0: Nick is poised to hang out with us also for after the Paracast because we have so much more to discuss. We're talking about the Martians. What about those Martians? Who could they have been? Maybe Edgar Rice Burroughs had it kind of, sort of, right? By the way, just a quick announcement here. We still have a very few coupon codes available for the movie The Phenomenon. So if you subscribe to the Paracast Plus, where you get the version of the show free of the network ads, the After the Paracast podcast, five years or lifetime subscriptions, we give you the coupon code. Okay, and that includes all the extras, by the way, not just the movie, but all the extras. To learn more and to sign up, go to the Paracast.plus. It's the Paracast.plus. So we're speculating here. Right now, if we were to travel to Mars, at least based on current technology, which is not necessarily as advanced as it should be, how do we deal with the psychological implications of being away from Earth for at least a couple of years? What do we do, or is there a technology out there that we get there much faster?
10: Randall, any thoughts? Well, I, I think both of you guys are making some really excellent points here, and it, it's been really great to have you on to talk about this because Mars is a planet that at least is possible for us to get to and probably possible for us to colonize if we really wanted to bad enough but it kind of makes me wonder about well what about our own planet too and and that's one of the things that is also mentioned uh in your your, your book review is the question was, and we've talked about nuclear war already, but what about global warming?
1: I won't say it's inevitable, but I mean, you know, the bigger a civilization gets, you know, the more and more problems it causes for that civilization. Um, You know, we're seeing it now, and maybe that's exactly what happened on Mars. I mean, maybe in a really weird way, it's inevitable that a civilization reaches some degree of a peak and then things start to go wrong you know i mean that's just speculation but
10: um maybe it was a pandemic well yeah i um, mean this one kind of hit us and we did you know we've been talking about our own problems with global warming and the possibility of destroying ourselves with nuclear weapons and there were people who were saying well look we've got to look out for the you know the microbes too i mean and then all of a sudden it's just like wham out of the out of the blue we got kind of like you know blindsided with this pandemic even though quite a few people knew about it i don't think as many people expected that it would go to this extent as it has and it's really causing a lot of problems for people here on earth being isolated now i mean you can imagine people on a spacecraft i would assume though we would
0: have some kind of psychological training of astronauts, well, or even give them some kind of drugs to calm them down.
1: Well, <laughs> that wouldn't be bad. <laughs> drugs and alcohol on the ship, you know.
0: <laughs> well, they, by terrible. the way, they approved legalizing recreational marijuana in, what, five more states? So that's <laughs> taking over the United States now.
1: Well, you know, I mean, it, it's difficult to say psychologically, you know, when you I mean, you're right. I mean, if you look at the um, the pandemic right now, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, I've got, you know, friends, and you know, they're depressed, you know, and anxiety and um, and and they can still go outside, you know, and go to the store and um, say hello to their neighbor, you know, um, it's not like. You know, you're in a situation where there's no one around. But even that amount of us, you know, that issue of us being having to be careful and, you know, you can't go here and you can't go there and et cetera, et cetera, I mean, that alone is causing massive psychological issues for people, you know, mental health issues. Um, but in saying that, you know, imagine... I mean, if you imagine what it's like now, imagine being sort of in a, let's say, a fairly large craft, you know, about the size of a house. I'm sure they could actually build something like that, about that size. You know, you wouldn't be like, obviously, just crammed in like a little craft, like, you know, when they went to the moon. It obviously wouldn't be like that. It'd be have to be fairly big. But nobody has sort of foresaw how that, you know, the pandemic would break out and you know the psychological aspects maybe you know despite all the training to get to mars it would only really hit them six months in holy crap you know we've got another six months to get there and we got, not to be sort of um making a joke about it but you know what happens when after six months you've watched all the blu-rays you know you read all the books you, you're sick of the guy next to you because he's got a habit of doing this or doing that
0: it wouldn't and take six months of year. that, my friend. It would probably take six hours for some people.
1: <laughs> yes. And then, you know, you've got another six months to get there, and then you've got to face, you know, going back. I, I know all these issues, obviously, it would be addressed, but it's like a lot of things. It's okay describing and talking about things in theory, but when you come to do something in reality, it can be very different you are, you can find that in all sorts of of life i mean the first time you get behind the real wheel of a car you know oh yeah it's going to be easy For most people it is some people you know takes them six times to take a driving test or whatever um, oh yeah
15: I
10: I, I I don't know how they even get volunteers to do this because uh, you, you know knowing uh, just what little i do about mars is enough for me to say i wouldn't want to live there you know i i don't really like traveling at the best of times let alone going to a planet where every time i go at the door i'd still have to put a moon suit on you know
1: yeah yeah and of course there's you know there's the the fact that humans you know we're social creatures you know um we don't do well. The fact is, we don't do well being on our own because we're not meant to, you know. Um, kind of like um, what was that movie in with um, Tom Hanks when he got on, stuck on the island? What was that called?
10: Oh right, yeah, he was on the island with the with the soccer ball or something, and he was <laughs> he called it Wilson, yeah. and uh, yeah. Yeah, um, he went. He went.
1: He went. Sort of psychologically, yeah. he went a bit crazy. Yeah, um, we're not. We're not supposed to be alone, you know, and um, and that that could be a stumbling block. I'm not saying it will be. I don't want it to be. I don't want it to be sort of all negative. But I think we realistically, so the biggest problems may not be this getting there for the spacecraft. It would be the psychological. Um, aspect if you like of the human mind um you, you cannot it's like a lot of things you can't in life you cannot figure out what it would be like until you've done it and if that means you're already six million miles out well, it's too late to turn back now because you've started to get a panic attack or something so.
10: yeah did you see the movie the martian with uh, matt damon yeah. yeah yeah i thought that was pretty good what did you think of that you know before we do that Randall, and we have a minute left
0: for our next segment. Randall, could you briefly summarize the movie? Not everyone has seen it.
10: Well, uh, it it came out in 2015. And essentially, it's one of these sci-fi movies where uh, we have sent from Earth uh, some of the first people to explore uh, Mars and set up habitation there and An accident happens leaving Matt Damon's character stranded on Mars where he has to figure out how to survive on his own and somehow get rescued. And uh, beyond that, I, I don't want to put in too many spoilers, but it's a pretty good movie that describes a lot of what you're saying there, Nick, about the challenges of just what it would be like to have to live there and survive, especially on your own. You know what? I have to wish for a Stargate,
0: folks. That's the answer. Just get there in 20 seconds. Get through the wormhole. More to come with Nick, Gene, and Randall. One more segment, and then after the Paracast, you're in
10: the Paracast.
7: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
0: the Paracast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus.
18: Tehebo Tea Club's original Pure Pau Diarco Super Tea comes from the only tree in the world that fungus doesn't grow on. As a result, it naturally has antifungal, anti infection, antiviral, antibacterial, anti inflammation, and antiparasite properties. That's shop, S-H-O-P, super, S-U-P-E-R, T, T-E-A, dot com. So the complete website is shopsuperT.com Or call us at 818-984-6100, Monday through Saturday, 9 to 5, California time. That's shopsupertea.com at 818-984-6100.
10: Hi, my name is Lily. My mom and dad used to fight about money all the time. Then one day, I heard them talking about this guy. Some uncle I never knew called Uncle
16: Sam.
6: Marie D. Jones, the author of This Book Is From the Future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
0: With Nick Redford, an author of The Martians, we were talking briefly about the movie The Martian with Matt Damon. And I don't like to watch these solitary movies. Like Robinson Crusoe and all that stuff where somebody is stuck on an island, and in this case on Mars, and you're dealing with one person dealing and handling his loneliness. I like you to be around people and to interact with people, but that's just me,
15: Nick
1: you're right because we're meant to that's that's the whole point you know and in their own way you know going back to like ants i mean their approach i'm sure is very different to ours but they are they're in civilizations there aren't really many animals really that that live alone i mean tigers you know they'll tear your head off but they'll sit around and play with their little tiger pup you know all day all living things really aren't that too dissimilar to us really and I think, that, you know, that really sort of hit home in The, in the Martian, the movie. Again, I won't say much about it, but the idea of, uh, you know, almost sort of stranded on a an island out in the Pacific, it's kind of like that, you know, and he's got to find a way to get off the equivalent of that island. But again, one of the big issues of the movie was that Tom Hanks's character briefly went completely nuts, you know. I, again, you know, if there is a secret space programme then probably that issue would not pop up because there wouldn't be enough time, you know. Because that's basically what we started on with this one. I think it's plausible, highly plausible, that there is a secret space program. But I really want to see far more than what we've got now, which is a bunch of amazing, really controversial stories of people who claim to have been to Mars. You know, show us something really solid. Or showed off,
10: you know. Waiting for you, Randall. Well, I was just sort of contemplating all of this. Yeah, what really amazes me is—and you do this every time, Nick—is like you come in with this, an idea that is usually highly controversial, and uh, you're thinking, "Oh, I don't know. I mean, this all sounds like..." and then by the end of the by the end of the show, you're going, "Hmm." Well, maybe. (laughs) Well, that's not bad.
1: (laughs) Joking aside, you know, when I write a book, I'm careful about what I write about because, you know, you can't just simply go out there and say, you know, there there are secret astronauts on Mars or whatever, because to say something like that is pointless and it will just make you look like a complete idiot, That's why sometimes people say, you know, I'm sitting on the fence occasionally. I'm not. I don't – I really don't sit on the fence. But what I do, you know, is that I may agree with somebody on this, but I totally disagree with them on that. Now, I see a lot of people in ufology, unfortunately, you know, they – they tie in with someone else because it's going to help them, you know, to get on the lecture circuit and all this. So they kiss ass and they say what they think they should say, you know, the right thing. Well, I don't do that. I tell people what I've found, and if you like it, that's great. If you agree with me, that's great. If you don't agree with me, well, let's have a debate on it, you know. And so I think that's – I always try and take that approach that, you know, that we're looking at something that is largely theoretical Admit it's theoretical, but demonstrate there actually is backup data. And and a lot of my books, I sort of write them like that because you don't come across like some sort of rabid, crazy person who isn't open to anything other than what they've said themselves, you know.
8: Well, that's
10: what always makes your books interesting for me. And they're also entertaining to read. Like they're, they're, You could just pick them up and you can practically turn to any page or you can read them all the way through. And no matter how you go about it, it there's always some enjoyment there in your books. So, you know, just uh, it's always been that way since I first discovered your books like way years ago. Now, how long have you been writing now, Nick? When did you when did your first books come out?
1: Well, the first book came out in 1997, and that was um, a book called uh, A Covert Agenda, and that was um, a study of um, the the British government's UFO files, which coincidentally, about 1995 was when they actually started to reveal some of the very early files, and um, I went down to the UK National Archives and got a bunch of the files, and that's what the first book, A Covert Agenda, was about, was the the early uh, British Royal Air Force UFO files, and um, that one, you know, when I started working on the first book, um, I started writing on it in um, 95, and it was published in 97, but, you know, it was a challenge to start with, because, like anything, you know, learning to swim or whatever, you know, it was... um, okay, what do I do? How do I write a book? You know.
10: <laughs> well, and that's really interesting because uh, since then you've written more than 40 of them. And uh, when we get into our After the podcast segment, I'd like to uh, get into maybe a little bit about how these books all tie together because one of the things that we've been finding when we've been interviewing our guests, uh, especially this year, is that there seems to be an attitude in the field that all of these things... Are kind of related in some sort of unified field theory of the paranormal or of UFOs in particular, what do you think about that like I mean could we be talking about a situation here where UFOs which uh, now i'll just ask you straight out, do you believe that alien visitation is a reality, or do you think there is just something that you're not sure of yet as as Martians or what?
1: is a non-human civilization, or there have been, you know, but now whether they are extraterrestrials or like Mactonis said, you know, ancient humans who occasionally come back, you know, they just don't foresee themselves as terrestrial people anymore, you know, they're, they're aliens to them. But then you've also got the angle... I mean, when you talked about all these things connected, I mean, John Keel was talking about that, you know, back in the 60s with um, books like The Apes Tower, where, you know, he came to the theory eventually that um, all of these phenomena, whether it's Bigfoot, UFOs, aliens, paranormal phenomena, that they're all part of the same thing. You can make a very strong case, you know, along those lines. If you look at, for example, ancient alien-type situations, you know, where you've got stories of, you know, things like the incubus and the succubus, you know, these sort of demonic entities that would sort of uh, invade people's bedrooms in the middle of the night and have sex with them. Well, you know, there's not much difference between those situations and today's alien abductions. Something comes into the bedroom at night, there's like, um, you know, blood and eggs and sperms take, and and then you know the greys have gone and after that you know also the incubus and the succubus have gone the parallels are, are clear to see and anybody who cannot see the similarities between alien abductions and succubus and incubus they just don't want to deal with it because they want it all to be alien
0: nick please tell our listeners where we can find more of your stuff
1: um, well, I've got a blog, World of Whatever, which uh, I try to uh, try being the uh, the word. <laughs> uh, try to uh, update it most days. Uh, called World of Whatever. So just Google Nick Redfern, World of Whatever. You'll find my uh, blog. And uh, you can also reach me at Amazon. I've got an Amazon page as well. And those are the two primary, and Facebook, of course. Uh, Those are sort of the three primary ways you can reach me. And I'm always happy to chat with people. They've got questions. They want to share information. You know, I'm always happy to help and um, do what I can.
0: We are found on Twitter and, of course, Facebook. Look for the PowerCast. We have branded merchandise, multiple logos, and all sorts of good stuff with shirts and throw pillows and everything. Check the PowerCast.shop, the PowerCast.shop. We have special low prices now on the PowerCast Plus, where we give you a version of this show free of the network ads with enhanced audio and also the app the PowerCast podcast, where we frequently continue the show, as we will with Nick this week. To learn more, go to the PowerCast.plus. And one more thing. If you subscribe to a five-year or lifetime subscription to the Paracast Plus, you get, while supplies last, a coupon code to get a free copy of The Phenomenon, the movie documentary from James Fox. Go to the Plus for more of theparacast.plus. So, Nick, thank you for joining us and telling us about The Martians.
8: All right. Thanks, guys.